Hey friends, I want to let you know about this year's Conversations in the Raw. Conversations in the Raw is a discipleship learning experience that follows the Exiles in Babylon conference. So this year at the conference, we're tackling several topics, including women in leadership, the future of the church, disability in the church, and multi-ethnic perspectives on American Christianity. And so Conversations in the Raw is an online learning cohort that dives deeper into these topics following the conference. You can sign up for one or all of the conversations if you want. In each cohort, They'll meet online for about an hour and a half to engage in honest, curious conversations with a leader and other cohort members. And there's only three meetings, so it's not like an overwhelming commitment. Everyone who goes through conversations will receive a certificate. Um, I know that some of you have jobs that encourage you to get like learning certificates, so you can do that through conversations. Also, also, this year we're teaming up with Denver Seminary and Eternity Bible College to offer a four-credit option for Conversations in the Raw. I mean, that's crazy, right? For just 500 bucks, you can get three master's level credits from Denver Seminary or three undergrad credits from Eternity Bible College. You'll have to do extra work, obviously, but this, I mean, this is a screaming deal to get credit from an innovative learning experience. So go to theologyinthera.com forward slash conversations to learn more about conversations in the raw. That's theologyinthera.com forward slash conversations. Think deeply, love widely through Conversations in the Raw. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. What you are about to listen to is a live, well, it used to be live. It was live last week, <laughs> a live podcast that uh, Patrick Miller and I did at the Exiles of Babylon conference. So uh, yeah, it was on Saturday morning. Um, Patrick came out and we just uh, had pretty much no plan on what to talk to talk about, but we did a live in front of the audience uh, podcast conversation. We talked about the problem of evil, talk about the Exiles Conference, uh, talk about several other things that came into our head at the moment. And we also addressed some live audience questions that came in. So uh, that's what you're about to listen to. Also, for those of you who did not either attend the conference live or virtually, I want to let you know that we have the videos. We have we have the whole conference available to purchase at theologianraw.com via video. So if you go to theologianraw.com, uh, you should be able to find, um, I think it's on the front page, where you can uh, go and purchase the entire Exiles in Babylon conference, which I, yeah, um, I thought it was really incredible and, uh, and God moved in some really unique and powerful ways. So if you're interested in checking out the conference, go to theologyandtherod.com. Okay, please welcome to the show the one and only Patrick Miller. What do you think? Did that work? I don't know. It, yeah, live like on the podcast. Live podcast? Is that real? Yeah. And we're dressed pretty similar. I know. Similar, you got the I'm memo. Yeah. I did this. I've, do you feel seen? I do. I do. do. You ever if, you had, not, if you had done black jeans, I would Do you ever not wear seen. black? No, never. No, Your closet's just... Yeah? Zero. All right. I haven't bought a piece of non-black <laughs> clothing in three years. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, who do you think... I, I was in a debate, so we can't... Uh, who do you think won? Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not answering that. That's a lose-lose, whatever I say there. I, I will say this. What I've loved about this conference is that there have been multiple times, because I've been out in the crowd with everybody else, where I, I've just felt so cringy. Like, I, I just, like, I felt this tension, like, ooh, that was a, that was a hard <laughs> question, or ooh, that was a, that was a pretty good jab. Um, but that's what I've loved about being here, because I do feel like being exiles in Babylon equals living in constant tension. Huh. And if you don't feel tension in your church, like those kind of cringy moments, 
I think that's actually where God meets you. And so yeah, yeah. I love being here where I'm feeling those moments and getting uncomfortable because I know it's God challenging me. Yeah. So I love it. This is your first theology. We've only done two, but is this your first Exiles conference for My you? First, yeah. I wanted to come to the last one. I, I yeah. had a trip planned beforehand and I, right. I, I, I almost tried to cancel it. So I can't get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> what are uh, thoughts so far? What, what's like, how would you, if, so, if you go back home, someone's like, hey, I, I heard you went to some Christian conference. Like what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Describe it to me in a few minutes. Like how would you? Uh, yeah, you know, it? I think it's a, I had a professor in seminary and he used to say context is king. And he was talking about how you read your Bible. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things I've taken away from this conference though is that context is king when you're living in Babylon because Babylon is your context. So I'm I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about... uh, Michelle Sanchez's talk when she was talking about how we have a discipleship problem, yeah. which that used to really irritate me when people were like, you're talking about issues of justice. Like, no, you've got a discipleship problem. I go, whoa, you, you just completely sidestepped mm-hmm. it. You know, but she's making the point in, in her talk that we have been discipled mm-hmm. into particular ways of thinking about race and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really resonated with me because back in 2015, as a guy who is white and grew up in basically entirely white spaces, God blessed me with a a friend who became a mentor who had tremendous witness. And he grew up in almost entirely black spaces. And one of the things that happened, you know, I I, I didn't use any racist words. I I never thought about myself as being a racist Mm -hmm. person. Um, But through that friendship, God began to show me that context is king. Hmm. And that even if I wasn't saying things out loud that someone would categorize that way, uh, implicitly, I had been discipled by my white culture in a kind of, it's Babylon, right? Babylon's all about pride, ethnic pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sense of internal superiority because of the color of my skin or because of mm-hmm. uh, my, my racial background. Um, it, it's, it's pride about um, socioeconomic things. It's pride about all this stuff. And, and he just so gently and patiently and kindly dismantled that part of Babylon in my yeah. heart. Oh, that's good. And that was yeah. discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I felt like here is... We do have a discipleship problem and we need to realize our context is Babylon. And if God can unravel that context and re-disciple us into the kingdom of God, and that's what I felt in every single talk. It's like, ooh, here's this topic I haven't thought that deeply about, but God wants to disciple me into it. By the way, we uh, we are gonna do some uh, Q&A. So go ahead and start popping questions in the Slido, either for me or Patrick. This is just, we didn't plan, so we don't even know we're going to talk. We're just talking, so there's no, like, plan here. Everybody so. keeps asking me, they're like, so what are you guys talking about? I go, Yo, to be honest with you, I have no idea. <laughs> we haven't even talked about it. <laughs> like, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just kicking in the living room with yeah. people out there. Yeah. Well, but so, what about you? I mean, what was your big takeaway? I mean, what's the thing? I mean, about? it's what hard, because if, if I say, oh, this was my favorite speaker, everybody else is going to say, what the heck? Oh, uh, yeah, like see, my, but you so. asked me to say you won the debate, <laughs> so now you're stuck. Um, I, okay, okay, no, it's, it's, it's totally honest. Like, I... I, I pick the different sessions, stuff I'm interested in, something I think the church needs to hear about. And I consult with other people. I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about this, that, what do you think? So I, it's not just a unilateral decision, but it's, it's me and a few people talking and stuff. But it, it is largely things I, I'm interested in, things I think the church should be interested in. Hmm. So the disability one is, and that's just really new. It's really, um, I mean, as I'd always known about kind of a theology of disability. Some of the speakers quoted John Swinton. Well, he, John Swinton is a major scholar of disability. He was at Aberdeen when I was there. And I remember I was studying like the, like Paul and the law, like New Testament stuff. And I heard about this guy doing like disability stuff. I'm like, how boring is it? Like, who does that? You know, I was like, mm. mean, and now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh. I like literally would like walk down the hallway next to John Swinton and like I kicking myself for not. <laughs> so it's one of those things. Where, yeah, it's one of those things where like, I knew it was a thing out there, but then the last couple of years is saying, oh my word, I think this is such a, crucial conversation with the church to have. And so I've been having some guests on the podcast and talking to people, reading stuff. 
So I'm like, I want to do a session on a theology of disability. Now here's the tension is like, a conference kind of needs people. People come because they're interested in stuff. So I have this, always have this tension of, I think this is important. I'm interested, but is anybody else going to you know, come and listen to this? So mm-hmm. I was a little, I don't say nervous, but like I, I wasn't sure how that was going to go. And I, I, I was beyond excited about how challenging and thoughtful and meaningful that that section was. Do you have yeah. any thoughts? I mean, I brought Tony up here and he, you know, he was like, yeah, we're like now we're wrestling with this. And yeah. I talked to other people and they they were really impacted by that yeah, yeah. session. What, what, any thoughts on oh, that? I, I was incredibly impacted. And I mean, again, that, that's what I'm saying. There's, there's, what I love about this conference is there's going to be something new that you haven't heard before. Mm-hmm. And I've been adjacent to some of those conversations, but I hadn't heard them explained and laid out. And to be totally honest, there were tons of things said in there. I was like, that is absolutely helpful. And I totally agree with it. And there are things I go, oh man, I'm not sure about that, but mm-hmm. I wanted that challenge. I wanted that friction so I can wrestle with mm-hmm. it. I mean, the best thing, I, I, everything that was said was, was great. But so I, now I'm saying my favorite speaker, I guess. I don't know. But yeah. Cameron, when he was up here, he said, you know, my body might not be healed, right? But you know what can be healed? My social belonging, my social relationships. And I thought if I just took that one thing back to our church and said, hey, we might not be able to heal bodies, just like Cameron said, but we can heal relationships. We can welcome people into our church in a way that they feel like they're a part of our community and they're given opportunities to lead and they're just like everybody else. That that for me is a huge challenge. Again, that's dismantling Babylon. Mm -hmm. That's realizing my context is Babylon, so I don't think that way, and now I need to think that yeah, way because yeah. that's the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, so I got to say something about Kevin Kim. <laughs> so yeah, I, let me give you the true story. <clears throat> this, this, okay, I've never heard, I've, I've known Kevin for about 10 years, but known Kevin Kim, um, maybe longer than that actually. So I've known him for a long time. No, no, you know, we, we've hung out a lot of times and I just, lo- he's amazing, just individual. Never heard him preach. One thing he didn't mention, that I'll mention now, is he was one of the teaching pastors at Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, one of the most influential historic churches in America, okay? Mm. But he got tired, kind of burnt out of, I don't want to put words in his mouth, so let me not tell that story. Let me just say, you know, now he, he spent, his church rhythm now is like going door to door and telling people about Jesus with Francis Chan. Like, in, in, a, in, a, in an area with heavy, heavy gangs and tons of like drugs. So he's like hanging out with like people like on, in the cartel telling them about Jesus. So he goes from the, like this mega church, super comfortable to that. And uh, so I've, I've never heard him speak before from a stage. Hmm. I just know his character. To me, I'm like, I'm more interested in the character and thoughtfulness on stage, not are they a dynamic speaker, you know? But oh, oh man, I mean... <laughs> here's, here's where I think he, he, he maybe fibbed a little bit. I originally wanted him at this conference, not Francis. Oh. I had Francis last year. I, I, I try to get new speakers every year. Yeah. And I just, I just, maybe I'm tired or just raw or whatever, but just, I'll just speak freely. Like, I, I, I don't want to, I, I have a blend of, you know, well-known speakers here and the ones that aren't well-known. I, I, nev- I, will, ne- I will never have anybody on stage that I don't think is, is thoughtful. I don't care if they have a gazillion followers or whatever. Like, this is not about popularity, big name, celebrity. Like, that's, that is not what we're doing at all. And I never, and people know I, I'm friends with Francis. And I, I just, I really don't want people to think, oh, I'm just getting Francis. They're a celebrity. It's a typical Christian conference. Get the big names, draw a ticket. Like, that is 100% not what I'm trying to do. So yeah. all that to say, I said, no, Kevin, I want you. He's like, no, no, you, let me give you Francis' number. He literally is like, I have it. Like, I, no, I want you. He's like, no, I'm not. <laughs> You, you want Francis. I'm, we went round and around and around for like a month. 
<laughs> Seriously. And he was like, no, no, I, I, will, I will tell Francis. So it turns out Francis had another, he's in Africa or something right now. So, um, and so I'm like, oh, no, I said, uh, I said, fine, fine, I'll have Francis. <laughs> <laughs> he twisted your arm into Francis' shit. That's what he was saying. And then Francis, and then like a month later, Francis like, oh, sorry, I, I, I didn't realize I have an engagement. And I was like, all right, Kevin, you're on. He's like, oh, shoot. So... He, he, I don't, I ask him, I go, when's the last time you've preached from a stage like this? And I think he said something like 10 years or something. What? And he's like, and I, and I'm, I'm not going to do it for another 10. Like he's, he has zero desire to be on a stage doing that. Well, it was amazing. Oh man. I, I was, <laughs> I was blown away. Yeah. I was like, I'm that guy can plant a church and it'd be a mega church in two weeks, I think. Yeah. You know? but, he, but he's going, yes. he's going door to door telling people in gangs about Jesus. Mm. I mean. It's incredible. Yeah, that, no, it's really beautiful. Anyway, yeah, that was so. A surpri- I, I did. I mean, I knew he was going to be a good communicator. I didn't know he was going to blow the roof off of. <laughs> he blew the roof yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard so many people laugh so loudly. Yeah, the beginning <laughs> of that talk. I don't know if he practiced that, but every detail it was perfect. Yeah, that last debate thing. <laughs> so I, I, um, okay, let me tell you Joey Dodson's story. So I'm at Aberdeen University, um, just started my, my PhD program, and my PhD advisor, Simon Gathergold, says, hey, I'm getting a, we're getting a couple new students. So the way it works is you have like an academic mentor. He takes on about five or six students, and they're our, uh, they call him a, our doctor father, our, 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 our PhD advisor, our mentor. And he's like, hey, I'm getting a couple new people in. Uh, one of them is uh, this guy named Joseph, you know? So I'm picturing this like tall guy <laughs> with a beard, you know, and kind of stuff. <laughs> and... and in walks this dude and like he's wearing like a like a beanie. He's got baggy pants. I'm like, yes. this guy, man. He's, the youth ministry's that way, dude. You know, I'm like. <laughs> I remember seeing him like in the li- like I was in the library once. I saw him kind of coming from a distance. I didn't know it was him, but he was same thing. Like just like looks like a thug, man. I was like walking close to him. I was like grab my wallet. Like what do you? How do you take a wrong turn? So anyway, but then we get to know each other, and the dude like. I mean, like, reads Greek like, like nothing else, you know? Like, just crazy, crazy scholarly. Like, so he's got this weird, like, he could, like, and he was a youth pastor for many years. <laughs> he's but, got the vibes. Uh, yeah. So I heard, so I, I saw, I went to a church in Scotland where he preached once. I kid you not. And I, I hadn't heard him speak before. He walks out on stage with a Greek New Testament. <laughs> and, and his mic, he always has a handheld mic, you know? Yeah. And he proceeds to give the most polished, like, powerful thoughtful, articulate, no ums or ahs sermon. And I'm like, how did you do that? I'm like, do you, why don't you bring a, a manuscript? He's like, well, I just write it ahead of time then I memorize it. God. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I don't, yeah. again, I could double check with them. I think every word out of his mouth during his 20-minute presentation was already scripted. Like that, that's word for word. <laughs> like, and he just memorizes it. I don't know how he does that. I don't know how he does anyway, that. Anyway, so photograph I, I knew you were in for a treat with Joey. I, Greg, I knew Greg would light it up. I mean, the dude is... Like, that's why I wanted him. And when Joey agreed to go head to head, I'm like, I think that's going to be a pleasant surprise to see these guys go head to head. So anyway. <laughs> well, it really was. And I feel like you and I, or at least me, I mean, I, I am the target market for, I, I'm an advocate of Christian nonviolence. Yeah. So I'm the target market for anything that gets me out of the violence question. Okay. And so, you know, I, I was so excited to hear Greg and hear Joey because I, you know, I, I, I want to hear that debate happen. You know, I think one of the challenges that comes with these debates, and this goes back to the whole context thing, is, you know, I mean, even going back to, you know, when, when Greg began this project in 2006, mm-hmm. this is all in the aftermath of 9-11, oh, and yeah, I remember yeah. 9-11, and all of a sudden this 
violence broke into our consciousness. Mm -hmm. And we had to figure out how to deal with the problem of religious violence. And that's actually an interesting way of framing it, like the problem of religious violence or the problem of violence in the Old Testament. And as I began to reflect on, you know, how that pressed, you know, people like Mm -hmm. Greg or or Paul Copen or others into this dialogue around it, they they came at it as a a problem. And I've always wondered, and of course there's something problematic about violence in the Old Testament, but I've always wondered if part of why we see it as a problem is because of our very suburban America, like violence broke into our consciousness. That's not to say that violence doesn't happen in America, but not that kind of scale of violence. It never happens. Mm-hmm. And we had to resolve something that other people maybe didn't have to face. Like I'm thinking about Miroslav Wolf, who was very, very familiar. He's a Croatian scholar. Mm-hmm. He, he, there was violence in the Balkans. It was, you know, family members, you know, killed, uh, women that he loved, um, raped and harmed in profound, profound ways. And he has, a, I, I got this quote, I just got to read this quote. This is, I'll, I'll pull it up on my you phone. Text right him or, oh, you're, I'm going to text him right now. Um, hey, Mir. All right. Thanks, Miroslav. All right, here we are. This is what he said. And it, again, this is the context. Like, I, I just wonder if part of our problem with the problem of violence is, is our context. Um, but this is what he says. He says, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. Now, this is a guy who saw family members murdered, so he, he, he's like, I, I've seen injustice and I can't worship a God who does nothing about that. And he says, the only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence by ourselves is to insist that violence is legitimate only when it comes from God. My thesis is that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance and that will be unpopular with many in the West. So that's the context thing. Like we in the West, we kind of have a problem with that. But it takes the quiet of a suburban home for the birth of the thesis that human nonviolence, that human nonviolence results from the belief in God's refusal to judge. In a sun-scorched land soaked with the blood of the innocent, it will unbearably die. Other pleasant captives, like other pleasant captives of the liberal mind. Wow. That's hmm. a, that quote has stuck with me is it's like hmm. my context is- It's a different starting place. Yeah. To, yeah. Suburban yeah. affluence, yeah. and I haven't had to see that kind of thing happen. And that doesn't mean one person's right and one person's wrong, yeah. but I just always start asking the question, like, why are we asking the questions this way? Like, is God's justice a problem or is it really, yeah. really good yeah. news? I, yeah, that's good. I, I mean, I, I was like, I feel like, I was like flip-flopping back and forth. I feel like, Michael Scott, snip, 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 you know, like in the back. I was like, when I heard, when I heard Greg Boyd, <laughs> does that work? <laughs> it's been a long week, man. Yeah. But I, I heard Greg, I was like, oh, man, I almost felt bad for Joey. I was like, oh, man, he's got to follow that. And then Joey went, I'm like, oh, I felt bad for Greg. No, you're saying like, the truth. In the back room, he presses like, oh, man, that's really, it's crazy. That's a really good point. I don't know what Joey's going to do. And yeah, it was, it was, was, it was good so to hear good. the debate. Let's go to some questions here. Um, Preston, which speaker did you find yourself disagreeing with the most and why? I don't know if I, I mean, I, I, you know me, I'll answer anything that, unless I'm going to bring them out here and like, um, uh, <laughs> let them be able to respond. Hey, I, say it to yeah. me. Okay. Just so, say it just, to me. Should we pull yeah. no. <laughs> I mean, I saw, yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I know, you know, Greg says he disagrees with me a lot on, you know, theological. I agree with him more than I disagree with Greg, mm-hmm. you know, but, but yeah, I, I would hold to, Joey's um, perspective on that. I, you know, I've written the, a book on nonviolence that talks about the Old Testament, and I think he even, you know, cites me in there where he disagrees. So, yeah, I'm. So I would side with Joey on that. So in this in 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 this specific conversation we're having, I would disagree with Greg on that. Mm-hmm. But um, we both agree on just Christian nonviolence. We both agree on 
uh, an annihilation view of hell. We uh, very much agree on the, just the whole idea of being an exile in Babylon and, and um, weeding out our Americanism from our Christian faith. So, um, and those are big deals for me. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Uh, oh, what are some sections or questions you are thinking about for next year's exiles? I don't want to spoil the fun, but I will. Um, I, so here, I'm, don't hold me to any of this. You're making promises. Well, and, and I don't, I mean, if we, let me just say, if we do, I mean, you know, there's, it's, uh, it's, it's every year we evaluate, do we have the, the bandwidth, the, the time, the energy to, to put this on? So if, if there is an exiles next year, then um, I, I think I definitely want to cover something related to the sexuality and gender. Like I, I do want to bring that back. And that, that might be, you know, because I, I do know a lot of people really are, have, even though I, it's something that I talk about all the time. So it's like, man, to spend a few days talking about something else, um, you know, is, is in some ways a little refreshing. But um, I know for a lot of people, this is, these are the primary questions they have. So um, something related to that, I really would love to do something on deconstruction in, mm. in the church and have a range of speakers, including somebody who has deconstructed to tell their story. Here's why I... You know, yeah. um, I, I would love to do something like that. I would love to do something on, not, not uh, on women and maybe even um, women power and abuse in the church. Not so much like women in leadership question like we did this year. Um, it may include some of that, I don't know. But something on, on I think that's just a, a huge, huge question right now. Yeah. So those are some of the ones that Can I'm, I make I'm suggestions? Thinking. Yeah, go I've, I've got two, yeah. And I'm, I, I get yeah. to make them now. So Absolutely, I'm do. you got the mic. <laughs> uh, maybe this would be the deconstruction. So I, I don't want to repeat it, but I would love something on de-churching because I do think okay. it's different than deconstructing. There's a study that'll, and it'll be released here over the summer, I think, uh, that has shown that America has gone through the largest religious shift in its history in the last 25 years. 40 million, I think it's 40 million uh, churchgoers have de-churched. Now, here's the wild part. They, they have all the data. They've done all the research. The portion of people that might fall into that deconstruction camp is actually very, very, very narrow. Um, and I think the average deconstructor is a 54-year-old woman. So, really? Uh, yeah, that's, you're like, wow. what is that? It's a little bit surprising, right? Huh. I'm just stating that's, and this is, this is the, it is qualitative. Ryan Burge did the research. He's the number one researcher on the nuns. So this is not like, you know, uh, some, some, some side deal. It's, it's, a, it's a real deal research. Hmm. Um, and the vast majority of why all these people are de-churching is because of uh, mental health issues and belonging. That they, could almost be a separate mental mental health. Yeah, mental health could be interesting. Yeah. I just would love something about deep. Yeah. Well, there's a good cloud. We want that. <laughs> uh, so I would love something in the context of because I, I think I think sometimes we get really fixated on one part of the de-churching phenomenon. I'm like, hey, I wish we could have this whole conversation mm-hmm. about the you know uh, suburban divorcee mom who is just struggling to get her kids to mm-hmm. any of the things mm-hmm. that they want to do and doesn't have time mm-hmm. for church and doesn't necessarily not want to be in church. But like, what, what do you do that so that, that's one of my i mean that, that would be kind of it related is. to the the women power abuse yes i mean that maybe that could be like friday morning friday afternoon or yeah something like that. that'd be good yeah. i also want on technology oh i thought about that one actually yeah, yeah. kind of like because we're in the digital babylon we got to yeah. talk about tech you've done a lot of i know I, okay real quick i'm trying to get invited back <laughs> <laughs> two really quick you don't need to unpack it just two quick Areas of technology that the church desperately needs to be thinking through. <laughs> the two quick areas. Um, <laughs> quick, okay. Uh, the first one is, uh, well, they're both artificial intelligence, but the first one is social media artificial intelligence. Um, we do not realize how we are being, I'm going to sound like some you know, tinfoil hat guy, but uh, we are being manipulated and controlled by yeah. algorithms. Our behavior yeah. is, our, what we're buying is. 
our, what, what, what our lifestyles are, how we think about the world. And these things are not by accident. One little illustration that makes a point. Let's talk about TikTok. I'm not trying to make a political point here. Um, but TikTok's algorithm works different in the U.S. than it does in China. Um, in the U.S., it is designed, there, there's a word for this, but it's basically how fast can I get you down a rabbit hole? Like, this is, so you just give you more and more of the same and it wants to get you into deeper, darker, more extreme content over time. Why? Because you stay fixated on it, right? Mm-hmm. In China, the way the algorithm works is um, every seven minutes, there's an educational video. Every 30 minutes, the screen goes black. Wow. Why? Because they know this app destroys you and they don't want to destroy their own people, <laughs> oh <my laughs> right? Word. And so it's really smart. Is this isn't like a conspiracy. This is like well-known. You can go you... Google that. This is all very real. I'm not, yeah, <laughs> that's what I meant. Tinfoil hat guy. <laughs> not conspiracy theories, I promise you. And so that's just one small example that illustrates yeah. the point that these apps are discipling people. Yeah, into oh, a yeah. way of being yeah. in the world. And so I think that's a really important topic. Yeah. I won't say the second one. That, that, I, you said I mean, that, we on. might have our for it there. Yeah. That's, oh, man. Okay. All right, so another question. Uh, I guess this might, what? Oh, the second one. Oh, yeah, you oh, want yeah. this? Yeah. <laughs> well, the second one is actually like artificial intelligence. Okay. I, I, so I posted this on Twitter the, the other day. Chat GPT or, or? Yeah, so Chat GPT is, is something that a lot of, it, it's broken into the consciousness, right? And people are getting on a Chat GPT and it's doing their homework for them. And how cool is that? Unless you're a teacher. Um, <laughs> and, and, but, but it's it, the, the power to create misinformation. Okay. has grown exponentially. So I, I just did this the other day. Um, someone put into a uh, AI photo image. I wish we had a picture so I could show this. Um, they, they put in Donald Trump arrest. And they let this image generator generate four different images of him being arrested. And they posted it onto social media. And I saw it, so I reposted. And I said, now, here's, here's the fun part. You can thank me for this later. After you see this image, right now, you know it's fake because I'm telling you it's AI generated, right? Um, but five years from now, you will forget that it's fake. And you're going to be in a conversation with somebody. You remember when Donald Trump resisted arrest? Well, that didn't happen, but you remembered it. And when you, it's not just pictures, it's not just videos, it's text. I mean, imagine someone being able Mm -hmm. to type in a fake story and then produce within 10 minutes, 300 stories that they are then using AI, able to float onto 300 different websites. And so you get onto Google, is this a true story? And there's 300 websites all telling you the same story in a slightly different way. Hmm. Like we're, we're entering the unreality machine. Wow. Wow. So I think that's an interesting thing for the church. And our churches, I mean, again, yeah. 19 of the top 20 Christian Facebook pages are run by foreign troll farms. Yeah. So I read that study. So it's uh, just like they're uh, discipling yeah. us. That goes we, beyond putting N.T. Wright's head on Brad, Brad Pitt's body in Fight Club. I wanted to know if he used AI to do that. I, I went to ask Joey. It's like, that looks like an AI thing. I wonder if he did it. We should send that to... Tom. Um, okay, Eric asks, uh, where are you at in the egalitarian complementarian debate? Are you leaning more to one side or the other currently? Um, and people don't believe when I say that. I, I really, I'm really not leaning. I would say this. I would say I'm at the very least what, what was described as like a soft complementarian, I think. Um, because the, 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 you know, there's so many areas I need to do a deep dive on. The one that I did do a pretty deep dive on is uh, prophecy in the New Testament. There's debates about what prophecy is, and then obviously debates about women teaching and preaching. So, but this is like the, well, I remember Tom Schreiner, hardcore com- uh, commentarian, said, I, when I asked him, like, what's the, bi- the best argument for egalitarianism, he immediately says, Prophecy. Clearly, you have women prophesying in the New Testament and being not just mm. prophesying, but actual prophets. Um, Old and New Testament. And so the question is, is first century prophecy somehow akin to what we would call modern day teaching and preaching? And based on the research I've done so far, I do think, I don't think they're the same thing. Like when my 
preacher preaches, I don't say, that was a wonderful prophecy. But I, I do think there are functionally, um, there's a lot of overlap there. Mm. So to me, that, that's a huge. And you have, and, and um, Cynthia brought this out, passages like uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, where you have you know, people described as teaching and, and learning it on a real general level, you know, so. Hmm. First Timothy 2, I mean, I, I, I've, understood, I've, I've dug into it enough to know it's, it's just really complex. Hmm. So when people just cite First Timothy 2, like, wow, but, you know, they quote it, like in the KJV. I'm like, <laughs> you obviously don't understand. Just, you can't just cite the passage and not understand, like, yeah. you know, you, where's your word study on authenticity? What, what's the meaning of gar, you know, at the beginning of 2.14? You know, how does 2.15, women saved by childbearing, fit into this? And, what you know, the, the background of a few, there's just so much complexity there. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to be patient and, and understand that passage. Because I don't, I, I, I have zero desire to say, I don't like, kind of like what that's saying. So I'm going to find an interpretation to kind of convince myself. Yeah, saved I really by wanna, childbirth? I mean, that's a tough one, man. What? So, yeah. Can I anyway. ask you a question yeah. that, that follows up to that? And by the way, the thing that I appreciated most about what you said so far is whichever side you're on, do not hold it with a tight fist because hmm. there are really strong arguments on both sides. I and that's so. the thing that yeah. bothers me yeah. personally the most is when someone asks, like, I've got the, you know, I've got the lockbox. I've got all the answers. Do you ever worry, like when you're saying, hey, I really don't know where I fall, how, you know, where, where I'm going to go, that like um, – you're actually secretly, you know, you're like subconsciously, you are somewhere, but you can't see it or or admit it, and so um, and so that's like driving yeah. things because you're not saying, yeah, this is kind of where I fall. I would say 100. percent That's yeah. absolutely possible. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I'm not going to pretend like that's not possible. Um, I, I it, it, to my conscious knowledge, <laughs> I, I, I don't have any like sociological, ecclesiological. There's no, there's nothing in uh-huh. my world that's like I wouldn't lose my job, I wouldn't lose any friend, I wouldn't lose any real friends. I wouldn't, you know. I, there's nothing like writing. You lost I, all those friends already. <laughs> I mean, if I was like teaching at Southern Seminary or okay. or even, okay, on the at Fuller Seminary or something like, yeah, there's a lot of just writing on this. For me, it literally, like I'll, wherever I land, I'll wake up the next day and nothing in my, in my life will change. And let me be clear, because some people say, I don't like when people describe this like, oh, it's, it's, this is a secondary issue. It's not a re- really big deal. Hmm. Never heard a woman say that, <laughs> you know? So I... It, to me, I don't say it's not. It's a secondary, non non significant. Mm. I think it's a very, very significant question. I just do think it has a, a deep level of a, a exegetical and theological complexity. Is, is yeah. how I want to yeah. treat it. So, mm. um, okay, uh, Preston, you mentioned you have a love hate relationship with the church. What is your current preferred ways of doing church? Well, I, and I and I, I did back back down from the word hate. I I, I yeah, um, but I did frame it that way initially. <laughs> I preferred way of doing show. My wife and I recorded a podcast where we talked about a while back on, on my kind of, if I was going to envision um, the kind of church I think best reflects the New Testament. Um, I said, I forgot what all those things I said. I, I, I think um, a very strong sense of belonging to where I, I can, I'll, I'll never forget uh, Francis Chan years ago sharing a story about a gang member getting saved. And then he's like so excited to now have a new gang, a Christian gang, you know? And he's like, because my gang, like, we're, I mean, you need something at 2.30 in the morning. You have 10 people at your door, you know, whatever. You, your, your mother's in trouble. Yeah, you have 15 guys who can go, hey, take care of your mom. And just, just that kind of, just that, that radical cohesiveness. And he got saved. He met Jesus. He's like, oh, good. Now I can worship the Lord and have a new kind of gang. And he shows up at church or whatever, just kind of like, what is like, yeah, my mom's in trouble. I was like, oh, I'm not your mom, sorry. You know, like, and, and it was just this kind of like letdown of like, oh, 
I, I sorry, I misunderstood the selling point here. I thought I was getting a, a stronger community. So just that kind of thick sense of belonging to where, man, if, if you, whatever the rhythm of church is, if, if you were gone for a couple of weeks, like people, you're, people, you would be missed. Like you'd be like, yeah. Family, family. Like, like if, if, if one of my kids wasn't around for like five days <laughs> and she showed up or whatever, I'd be like, well, oh, hey, what's up? I'd be like, where you been? Like, you know, so I, I don't, and I know that's, it's idealistic. Okay. I don't expect perfection, but something kind of like that, that family environment that we see in the new Testament. And I, and I agree with, uh, well, both, both Kevin and Matt, you know, said, I don't think size I've been in large environments where I felt like a sense of belonging. This is fairly large. I feel a sense of belonging here. Um, I've been in small settings where it's super awkward and people don't, you know, so I, I don't think size necessarily is the controlling factor. Anyway, yeah. I mean, no, I was going to ask you a question because I mean, you're just, a pastor of a big church. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I am. So I don't think size matters either. Um, I just, I, I'm a, <laughs> no, oh God, <laughs> this is why I said, I told Preston, can we just figure out what we're talking about? I'm going to say something by accident. I didn't mean to say, I did not mean to say that. Seriously. Okay. Let's keep going. I'm being dead serious. <laughs> Okay. Uh, no, I was going to ask you a question, though, because as I've talked to a, a lot of you out here, it's been really fun getting to know people. Um, one of the themes I've heard is people who feel like they're excited to be here because in some sense, they don't feel like they belong in their church at yeah. home. It's like, I've talked to multiple people who said, I came here and it's like my shield went down. And that's beautiful. Um, I'm like, oh, the shield should never be up. Mm-hmm. So, wh- I mean, what do you tell people? They're going back to church. They're still committed to the church. They just saying here, you know, build your church. Mm-hmm. Jesus, it's yours, build it. And they're going back, <laughs> let's build it. So what do you do if you're at a church and you don't feel that sense of belonging, but you know Jesus is calling you to build yeah. the church? I, I, mean, I get this question a lot. I don't know, I don't know. I've, I've struggled with this so much that I don't, I don't have the kind of Gandalf, you know, here is the way that, you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I do think, I mean, so I, I value belonging, but I also value worshiping the creator God and being confronted by the teaching of God's word. I mean, so, so some of the traditional forms of church, I really hope I didn't get the wrong impression. Like, I think those do have value, um, absolutely, if, if done well, right? I mean, there could be crappy sermons that are like, it'd be better if you didn't preach that Sunday, you know? But, um, but yeah, so I mean, I, they're, they're still t- taking the Lord's Supper. I, I was convicted last year at Francis Chan, you know, with yeah. this is the centerpiece. So, you know, at our church, I go to this church here, Calvary Chapel, and so we, we do, we have communion every Sunday, you know? So trying to, find value in just, just that act, you know, and just being present, I, you know, um, just, yeah, being at the gathering of God's people, I, I do see intrinsic value in that. Like, I do think there is something cosmic happening, even if I show up and no one talks to me, I don't talk to him, but whatever, like, I, I, I think there is, there is still value. It's better to be doing that than not doing that and staying yeah. home and trying to live an isolated Christian life. So, um, hmm. yeah. Does that, I don't know if that really answers. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's a great answer to it. I mean, I, I was thinking about it as I was talking to people mm-hmm. and I, I feel like I, well, I keep going back to something that Kevin said earlier, which is, you know, if, if we go back to our churches with a sense of self-righteousness, like, Hey, yeah. I've been to the place and I've seen the glory yeah. of God and I've yeah. been on the mountain. Right, and right, right. <laughs> he was pressed and sprinkled. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no one thinks that. No, but if, if we go back and we think I've had this, you know, amazing experience and then we're self-righteous about the church that we get back to because it's not like this place or I see 10 different things that are a problem there, you know, we're, we're always going to be, like my judgment is the thing that stops me from worshiping. Like I've experienced this so much. Like I'm in a worship service and like something funny happens with the lights or there's a song I don't like. And like I go into critic mode and I'm like, oh, this song's this song stinks. Like, I can't believe yeah. we're doing this. What yeah, doing totally, right totally, now, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm not worshiping. I'm like, I'm self-focused. Like, I've become totally self-absorbed in the moment. I'm self-concerned. I'm self, you know, inside here. And so, you know, I, I that's what I've been thinking about. It's like, if I can just go back with a sense of peace mm-hmm. that I don't have all the answers and yeah. I just want to be a, you know, non-anxious presence in this place. Yeah. Um, and I might not feel like I totally belong, you yeah. know, in the spot that I'm yeah. in. That's, that's yeah. okay. Like, maybe God will somehow magnetize other people who feel like they belong. We'll like plant the church in our church and we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. become a you know this right, new community right, right. that can just have life there yeah. i don't know and i and i just i i so i just want to so affirm what kevin kim said so clearly as somebody who has done a really different kind of church right I mean, they kind of blew the foundations to bits and said let's rebuild this thing and they did that intentionally but, but to hear him say like give so much honor to pastors who are in the trenches of whatever traditional church they're in and and mm-hmm. and, and they're i mean I want 110% affirm that. And I never, I, I, I felt myself getting a little too critical of church over the last, not few, I mean, over the last decade off and on, you know, and a couple of years ago, I said, you know, I, I, cause I go in, I travel and speak at tons of churches all over the place. Right. And, I, and, I, and every, literally every church I go to, I just meet, and most of them are pretty big churches like your church and others. And I meet a team of incredibly humble pastors that pray like crazy, that know their people's names, they're humble, they're having dialogues, they're engaged. You can ask questions in these churches. So this kind of stigma that, and it, which is true in maybe a lot of churches, I can't ask a question. I don't, you know, people, you know, like I was kicked out for, you know, asking a hard question or something, or just wasn't, didn't feel like I was belonging because I hold to a different theological doctrine on something. Like I've been in so many large mega churches or whatever that just aren't that at all. So I, I just, yeah, I just want to affirm and, and yeah, just say a massive thank you to those of you who are in, in full-time church ministry, whatever that looks like. I mean, you guys are, um, I, the critics, as somebody who, you know, breathes the air of criticism, <laughs> you guys get it every day from people in your pew. That's the thing. I get it like on Twitter or whatever. It's like, whatever. You're like, mute, delete, mock, you know, whatever. <laughs> Send it to my friends. <laughs> hey, look at this comment, you know? Um, but That's like, the but, best thing to do with them, Oh, it's funny. It's hilarious. Send them to your friends and don't <laughs> respond. <laughs> but, but um, I mean, you, you, you're like pouring yourself out into people, pouring yourself out. You see people face-to-face, you have them for meals, and then, then you get like criticism. Mm. Like that, that, I mean, thank you for staying in the trenches and, and serving people the way you are, you who are in ministry. Yeah, just one last little thing here. I was talking to someone else and made this fantastic point. I'm saying this to anybody who's in ministry, which is, by the way, all of us. <laughs> yeah. And uh, whether it's full time or it's part time or it's you know whatever it is, um, Jesus suffered for the church, and now He invites us to participate mm-hmm. in that suffering. And if you can reframe critics of a church that you love or critics of what you're doing inside your church that you think is really good as participating in that suffering, mm-hmm. I think that's actually the means by which mm-hmm. Jesus is going to make it flourish yeah. and grow and do something unexpected, you know? That's awesome. A uh, couple more questions. There's a couple quick ones here. My hairstyling product, I have no clue. I don't know. I just reached in the drawer to throw stuff in my hair. So. <laughs> Do you have a, do you have a, I don't know. If, uh, <laughs> oh, it was, no, it was for me. So it was for you. I don't have the answer. Um, okay, uh, Elise Fitzpatrick is speaking. She's right back there. She'll be out in a few minutes. Um, 
Okay, can you suggest ways to encourage my elders to take a posture of curiosity on these difficult topics? Uh, versus saying we only want to talk about, or versus saying we only want to talk about scripture. Oh, uh, uh, in contrast to, I thought it was like Bible versus saying, in contrast to saying we only want to talk about uh, scripture. I, um, as a pastor elder who's here and kind of likes his vibe, what would you say to that? Uh, how, how to encourage their elders to take a posture of curiosity? On I, I mean, topics? part of me hesitates to answer because we started this church. And so we've always, it, when you're stepping into a church and you, the elders are already there, um, or if you're an elder and a pastor comes in, that's a very different circumstance than when you're there from the start and you're building relationships and those people become elders who you're with for a long time, yeah. who you trust. Um, you know, what I, I think I would simply say is, um, if you can, you know, love those elders, have them into your house, show them hospitality, and when they are unkind to you, I mean, if you took like a five-year plan where you said, you know, for five years, I'm only going to do 10%, 20% change that I want, but I'm really going to invest in these guys, and the ones who get repelled by your hospitality will probably eventually, you know, pack it up and, and leave, and that's okay. And then hopefully over time, you're able to backfill in with people who do have curiosity. I just, in my experience, you know, telling someone, I wish you were more curious or I wish you changed this aspect yeah. of your personality, that doesn't really ever it's work. Land, and, yeah. But if... <laughs> If they love if they love you because you've loved them really really well, you, that that's just a different way to approach it. And they're still probably not going to be curious, right? They're, they're going to be like, "I'm on your team, and I hate what you're saying, but I really like you." So, all right, whatever, let's go. Yeah, awesome. You know? you guys, give a hand for Patrick Miller. Thanks for joining us on Theology in the Raw. We'll see you next time on the show. Hey friends, have you been blessed or encouraged or challenged by Theology in the Raw? If so, would you consider joining Theology in the Raw's Patreon community? For as little as five bucks a month, you can gain access to a diverse group of Jesus followers who are committed to thinking deeply, loving widely, and having curious conversations with thoughtful people. We have several membership tiers where we where you can receive premium content. For instance, silver level supporters get to ask and vote on the questions for our monthly Patreon only podcast. They also get to see like written drafts of various projects and books I'm working on. And there's other perks for that tier. Gold level supporters get all of this and access to monthly Zoom chats where we basically blow the doors open on any topic they want to discuss. My patrons play a vital role in nurturing the mission of Theology in the Raw. And for me, just personally, interacting with my Patreon supporters has become one of the hidden blessings in this podcast ministry. So you can check out all of the info at patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw. That's patreon.com forward slash Theology in the Raw.